Recently, I've been rereading a book I've read many times before and taught from. A book by William Bridges entitled Transitions, Making Sense of Life's Changes. In the book, Bridges describes transition as an emotional process we go through in response to a change. He says that change is situational, an event that happens, but transition is a psychological process where people gradually accept the details of the new situation and all that comes with it. He describes the overall process of transition happening in three stages. First, there is the change, the precipitating event that brings about the end of something. Then Bridges talks about entering what he calls the neutral zone. That's probably where St. Paul's is right now. The neutral zone, which is the place where we struggle to make sense of it all. And then finally, the last stage, the place of resolution and new beginning. I've often exemplified Bridges' work with the Israelites' exodus from Egypt as the change, then their wandering in the wilderness as the neutral zone, and of course, the promised land as their new beginning. Other times, I illustrate it by talking about a young new priest who comes to his first parish on Saturday night thinking it would be a great idea to pull the altar away from the wall. That, of course, is the change. The neutral zone happens the next day. We can also apply Bridges' work to today's Old Testament lesson about Elijah being carried away to heaven. That's quite a change. It seems that everyone suspects that something is about to happen to Elijah. And even though the change hasn't even happened yet, it seems that folks have already started the process of transition where they're trying to make sense of it emotionally. It's not clear whether Elijah is trying to protect his understudy Elisha or simply test and challenge him. But at the onset of each leg of their travels, he encourages Elisha to stay behind. But of course, Elisha won't have it. Each time Elijah suggests his staying behind, Elisha pledges that he will not leave his older master prophet. And also, at each place they journey to, there's a company of local prophets who come out to meet Elisha and let him know what he already knows. They come and say, Elisha, don't you know, God's going to take your prophet, your master, away. And not sometime in the distant future, but soon, probably today. There never seems to be a limit on how much people want to share bad news. Did they really think they were telling Elisha something 
he didn't already know? Of course, Elisha doesn't want to hear it, but the reason is more than just losing his mentor and friend. When God takes Elijah, Elisha will have to take charge. Elisha will no longer enjoy the role of disciple and follower. He'll have to be the leader. He will have to lead. He'll have to function as God's prophet, as God's voice to the people. Elisha knows the cost of being the prophet of God. I'll bet that right about now, Elisha's thinking about how nice it would be to be back on the farm with his dad, with nothing more to worry about than plowing the back 40. He's wondering, how on earth did I get here? Who thought this was a good idea? He remembers that Elijah came by that field where he was plowing. And Elijah didn't make a hard sell recruitment. In fact, Elijah never said a word. He just walked up to Elisha and laid his mantle across his shoulders. And Elisha dropped the plow and never looked back. Yeah, it would be good to be back on Dad's farm about now. They've traveled through Gilgal and through Bethel until now they are on the banks of the Jordan River looking across to the land where Moses remained behind and died many years before. Moses stayed on the shore, but his understudy, Joshua, led the Israelites across to Canaan. And just in case... Anyone is wondering if Elijah still has one more miracle left. He takes that same mantle, rolls it up in the shape of a staff, and just like Moses at the Red Sea, he strikes the water and parts it, enabling the two of them to cross over to the other side. It's not really that far. At that point, the Jordan River is only about 60 feet wide, but it's far enough for them to be alone as they cross, and it is incredibly symbolic. Here, Elijah stands on the bank that Moses stood before he died, gazing across the river at the Promised Land. And here is Elisha, just as Joshua who would complete the journey leading the children of Israel. In this poignant, rich moment, there are memories of old. And amidst that poignant moment, Elijah looks into Elisha's face and asks, Elisha, is there anything I can do before God takes me away? Elisha snaps too, and with a bit of desperation in his voice, he says, Yes, Elijah, how about a double portion of your spirit? How about some of that fire in your belly? That's what I want. That's what I need. That's what I'm going to have to have to do what God is calling me to do. Elisha 
is asking as if Elijah's spirit is something he can bequeath, like, well, the family farm, something tangential and material. But of course, Elijah knows it doesn't work that way. But he does know how it might happen. He looks at Elisha and says, If you can bear to watch as I am taken away, as I leave, if you can be present and mindful in the moment without turning away or shushing yourself and your emotions, then you'll keep my spirit and my heart. And then as they continue walking and talking, a fiery chariot of horses of fire separates them. Elijah's carried away to heaven, not by the chariot, chariot, but by a whirlwind. He basically rides a tornado and nothing's left there at all except for his mantle. Which is a good thing because after he watches Elijah leave, Elisha is so consumed with grief that he tears his clothes apart in two. And yet he looks down at the ground and there is Elijah's mantle. Should he pick it up or just keep walking away, back east, away from Israel, away from his role as a prophet. Usually we think that the climax of this story is Elijah riding away in a whirlwind with fiery chariots and horses. But I think the real climax is this moment with Elijah staring at that mantle lying on the ground. The mantle of leadership lies before each of us. May God grant us the courage and the grace and the will to pick it up to pick it up with open hearts, allowing God's prophetic spirit to speak through each of our lives. Amen.